Chapter 10 Esoteric Doctrine Thus the Sutra reads The Divine also, do you think? No! Non-responsibility on account of space, of scripture, of tradition. The worshipful Vajrashravas comments upon this as follows. The divine also. That is punishment. For, in the preceding sutra, such punishments were spoken of as the king or the authorities might decree upon the robber. These are as follows. The mutilation of hand, foot and nose, the seething cauldron, the pitch garland, the dragon's mouth, running the gauntlet, the rack, besprinkling with boiling oil, decapitation, rending by dogs, impalement of the living body. These being more than sufficient reason why the robber should, if possible, not let himself be caught, but, if he should indeed have been caught, why he should, in every possible way, seek to escape. Now some people say, divine punishment also threatens the robber. No, says our sutra. Why? Because non-responsibility comes into play, which may be made clear in three ways, by aid of reason, from the Vedas, and from the heroic songs handed down to us. On account of space, by which the following consideration, founded on reason, is meant. If I cut off the head of a human being or an animal, my sword goes through between the indivisible particles, the atoms, for it cannot cut through these particles on account of their very indivisibility. What it cuts through, then, is the empty space which separates these particles. But, on account of its very emptiness, one cannot do any harm to this space. For to harm a nothing is just the same as not to harm anything. As a consequence, one cannot, by this cutting through of space, incur any responsibility, and a divine punishment cannot, therefore, be meted out for it. And if this be true of killing, how much more so, then, of deeds which are punished less severely by human law? Thus far reason. Now comes scripture. The sacred Veda teaches us that that which alone has any true existence is the highest Godhead, the Brahman. If this is true, then all killing is an empty deception. This the Veda also says in so many words in the passage where Yama, the god of death, tells the young Nashiketas of this Brahman, and among other things he says, Who when slaying believes he kills, who when slain believes he dies, deceived are both, this and that one too. He dies not, neither does he kill. Even more convincingly is this awful truth revealed to us in the heroic song of Krishna and Arjuna, the Bhagavad Gita. For Krishna himself, having known no beginning, destined to know no end, the eternal, almighty, inconceivable being, the highest God, who for the salvation of all living beings caused himself to be born as man. In the last days of his earthly pilgrimage, Krishna helped the king of the Pandavas, the high-minded Arjuna, in the war against the Kauravas, because the latter had done him and his brothers grievous wrong. Now when both armies were drawn up in battle array, their bristling ranks opposed to one another, Arjuna espied amongst the hostile forces many a former friend, many a cousin and comrade of past days, for the Pandavas and the Kauravas were the sons of two brothers. Arjuna was moved to the depth of his heart, and he hesitated to give the signal for battle, for he was loath to kill those who had once been his own people. So, 
He stood there looking down from his war chariot, his chin sunk on his breast, a prey to torturesome hesitancy, undecided as what he should do. And beside him stood the golden god Krishna, who was his charioteer. And Krishna guessed at the thoughts of the noble Pandava king. Smiling, he pointed to the rival armies and showed Arjuna how all those beings came into existence and will pass, yet only apparently do so, because in all of them only that one lives whose past has known no dawn, whose future shall know no sunset, untouched alike by birth and death. Whosoever holds someone to be a killer, or describes as murdered one who is lying here, they do not understand the truth of either case. Come, Arjuna, now begin the fight. Taught in this way, the Pandava king gave the signal for the beginning of the terrible battle, and won, so that Krishna, the human-born highest god, by the revelation of this great esoteric doctrine, changed Arjuna from a shallow and weak-hearted man to a deeply thoughtful, iron-hearted sage and hero. In truth, then, the following also holds good. Whosoever commits a crime or causes it to be committed, whosoever destroys or causes to be destroyed, whosoever strikes or causes to be struck, whosoever robs the living of life or takes that which has not been given to them, breaks into houses or robs others of their property, whatsoever it be that they do, they burden themselves with no guilt on that account. And if someone were to slaughter every living thing on this earth with a sharply ground axe and reduce them to a single boneless mass, to one mass of pulp, they would in no way be guilty on that account. They would do no wrong. And if someone were to make their way along the southern bank of the Ganga, laying waste and murdering, they would on that account acquire no bad karma. And if someone were to make their way along the northern bank of the Ganga, distributing alms and making offerings, on account of this they would acquire no merit. By means of generosity, gentleness and self-renunciation, one acquires nothing, nothing meritorious, nothing good. And there now follows the astounding, indeed frightful, 477th Sutra, which in its striking brevity runs, rather, on account of the eater. The meaning of these few words, wrapped as they are in deepest mystery, the worshipful Vajashravas discloses to us as follows. Far removed from any such idea as that of divine punishment threatening the robber and murderer, rather is the opposite the case, namely, that such a one grows to be like God himself, which becomes clear from those passages in the Veda where the highest God is glorified as the eater, such as, Both the warrior and the Brahmin he eats for bread, when with death's garnishing he sprinkles them. As the world has its beginning in Brahman, so also it has its passing away there, Brahman causing it constantly to come forth anew and constantly destroying it, so that God is not only the creator, but also the devourer of all living beings, of whom here only warriors and Brahmins are mentioned as the highest in rank, but who therefore represent all the others. So it also reads in another passage, I eat them all, but me they do not eat. These were the very words, as you should know, of the highest God himself when, in the shape of a ram, he carried the boy, Medatiti, to the heavenly world. For, indignant at his forcible abduction, the latter demanded to know who his abductor was. Tell me who you are, or I, a Brahmin, 
will strike you with my wrath. And he, in the semblance of a ram, revealed himself as that highest Brahman, the all in all, in the words, Who is it that kills and also prisoner takes? Who is the ram that leads you far from here? It is I who in this form appear. It is I, and I appear in every form. If one feels fear, it be of whatsoever, that fear is mine who also causes fear. But in the holy greatness lies the difference. I eat them all, but me they do not eat. Who can know me? Who can call me by my true name? I strike down all my enemies, yet no one can strike me. By this time, it must be plain to the dimmest eye that the likeness to the Brahman cannot lie in being destroyed and eaten, as would be the case were gentleness and self-renunciation to be regarded as virtues, but on the contrary, it lies in destroying and eating all others. In other words, it lies in using others to the utmost and in crushing them, while oneself suffering no harm. There cannot therefore be the slightest doubt that the doctrine of the punishment of hell for one who commits deeds of violence is an invention of the weak to protect themselves from the might of the strong by intimidating them. And if in the Veda several passages contain this doctrine of punishment, they must have been treacherously interpolated by the weak as they are quite out of harmony with the chief tenets of the faith. When the Rig Veda says that, although the whole world is the Brahman, it is a fact that God recognizes humankind to be the most fully penetrated by that Brahman, by virtue of the same argument, it must also be recognized that, among people, the real and true robber is the one above and beyond all others who is most fully and penetrated by the Brahman, and that the robber is therefore the crown of creation. But with regard to the thief who does not rise to the level of robberhood, seeing that scripture frequently declares the idea of that belongs to me to be a delusion and a hindrance to the highest purpose for which humankind was created, it is without further waste of words clear that thieves represent the highest truth as they have made it their life work to combat that delusion by their daily actions. Nevertheless, robbers, on account of their violence, stand higher than them. So then, the position of the robber as the lord of creation has been plainly made manifest, both by logical reasoning and from scripture, and is therefore to be regarded as incontrovertible.